Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 253 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Doug Brackman about meditation and productivity for innovators and entrepreneurs, like many of you. And if anything in today's podcast resonates with you and you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, get the first chapter now for free at lawyers.com slash book. We think you'll like it. Today's podcast is brought to you by the law firm Growth Summit, Ross Intelligence, SaneBox, and Alert Communications. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. Hey, Sam, do you know what would make some great Christmas gifts? As we are recording this, it is before Thanksgiving, and so I am fundamentally opposed to even talking about holiday gift shopping at this moment, but I recognize that by the time this podcast runs... We will be in the heat of it. (laughs) My number one is the small firm roadmap. Get the book. What a great stocking stuffer. Yes. And it's not too early to think about it because Thanksgiving's a week later than it normally is. So we actually have a really compressed shopping season. (laughs) So you can make your shopping really easy by, you know, getting a copy of the book for you and all the other lawyers in your life that, you know, could use some help running their firm. For sure. We have another gift that I think would make a great gift for any lawyer in your life. The small firm roadmap is obviously going to make more sense for a small firm lawyer, but the Lawyerist Productivity Journal is going to be the kind of thing that anyone would love to have. Stephanie, you've probably got yours on your desk in front of you right now. I do. I always have it in front of me. It kind of never leaves my sight. Mm -hmm. What I love about it, if you're not familiar with it, is it's from Binder Tech. So you could actually buy this special punch and then you can punch pages in and out whenever you need them. Yeah, I think most people have sort of hacked their journal to be more custom to them. There are refills. If you love the way that we design the page templates, you can just get refills. But if our templates aren't the thing you want, then you can just sort of hack it and make your own. And I know lots of people do. I know Aaron like throws everything in there. He goes to a conference and he punches his conference booklet and sticks it in his journal. So yeah, I do that. And then what's nice is as the years going by, I take out months that I don't need anymore. Mm-hmm. Like if I've calendared, you know, heavily in January and February and now we're, it's November. I don't, I save those pages cause I'm crazy and I have all of my planners for way too long. Like there should probably be a seven year rule and then I can get <laughs> rid of them. I don't know, but I sometimes like, I like knowing I have them. Yeah. You know, if people haven't used a disc notebook system, uh, you should check it out. And ours is the best one to start with, obviously, but it allows you to move pages around and it's really easy and helpful. And We've designed it to go along with a productivity system that we think will work. So check that out. So, you know, get a copy of the book, get your productivity journal. Can I say one more thing um, about the productivity journal? Yeah. Sorry, because I know we're all about tech and probably some listeners are like, wait, are they actually recommending (laughs) a notepad, something I write in? Mm -hmm. And so if you go to our Facebook page, there's actually a video that I recorded that you can find where I talk about how I use both my online calendar and my planner and they have very different functions in my life oh, there you go. and it really works. So yes, I, we are tech people 
recommending it. We're also pen and writer. paper nerds, to be clear. Yes, but true, fair. For those of you who are in lab, which I know is a small subset of you, here's an idea. You can bring a new team member with you into lab. We have a special membership level just for your key leadership members of your small firm. And it's just 99 bucks a month to bring in a member with you. Yeah, I love that idea. I actually have a labster who has a woman working with him who he hopes, you know, he's grooming her to take over the firm. Mm -hmm. And so he's decided to gift her the gift of lab and let her come in and start really thinking about her practice and how she would run the business, you know, so she's starting to learn now. He still obviously is in the business and making most of the decisions, but he wants to start grooming her and bringing her in. And I thought that was just a really awesome professional development gift to give somebody. Very cool. So no matter what winter solstice oriented holiday you celebrate, if you are shopping, if it involves gifts, there are three great ideas for you. And just a final programming note here. So I just recently discovered that all the show notes that we have been putting on iTunes, on the Google Play Store, on LTN's website have been missing the links. And every episode I say, hey, we'll include the links in the show notes. And if you have flipped over in your podcast app, you've been like, where the hell are the links, Sam? So I'm sorry about that. Hopefully going forward, we'll get that fixed. And hopefully going backwards, maybe we can edit some of the old show notes so that those are fixed too. So sorry about that. We'll do better and we'll fix that going forward, hopefully with this episode. So hopefully you can flip over to the show notes right now and see links, including the brief sponsored conversation with Moshe Amsel that I'm about to have about the Law Firm Growth Summit. And then we'll have my conversation with Doug Brackman. Hi, my name is Moshe Amsel. I'm the owner of Profit With Law and host of the Profit With Law podcast. And we help law firms make their firms more profitable, grow their top line, grow their bottom line, and get their lives back by focusing on the business side of the law firm. Hi, Moshe. Thanks for being with us today. So I hear a lot about growth in there. That's your focus. When you are working with law firms, what do you find is the major obstacle to growth for the firms that you're working with? So what I find is that most law firm owners, when they have left law school, they started their own firm, they essentially hide behind this mantra of there is no training for how to run a business in law school. Hmm. And it's basically this feeling that they don't have the information necessary to be able to make appropriate business decisions. Hmm. So where do they find that information? I mean, if law school is letting us down, what's the answer how do lawyers go and find the information that they need to be successful? It's a great question, Sam. So the question that they are posed with is how do I get education? And uh, right now, the primary source of education is legal conferences. Uh, the problem with legal conferences is very simply, it costs money to get there. You have to take time away from the practice to get there. And often the conference is not geared towards specifically towards law firm growth and maybe just one or two sessions have information about that. So the availability of information is hard to come by and difficult to get. And that's what's currently available in the legal industry. And so your solution is another conference? So funny you should ask that because <laughs> the answer is yes, but. So, and, you know, Lawyerist has done a really good job with your programs of helping lawyers. But in the conference arena, the biggest issue is the fact that the conferences are in person, that they're being run by a conference host who might have their own agenda or doesn't have the law firm growth as their top key piece of interest. So what we decided was, to get not just myself, but a whole number of people who are in this thought leader industry, who have great ideas, who understand what's going on, and get them all on a stage together. 
But instead of charging for the conference, we wanted to make it absolutely free so that there's zero barrier to entry to attend. And we also didn't want people to have to take off of work to attend. We didn't want them to have to leave their homes to attend. So what we did was we created this virtual conference. It's completely online. We're going to have 30 speakers who are absolutely phenomenal. We even have your own Stephanie Everett, mm -hmm. uh, who's going to be speaking from Lawyerist. And we've broken it into five tracks. So we have a sales track, we have a marketing track, we have a leadership and team development track, we have a technology and processes track, and a financials track. And I'm really passionate about the entire encompassing of this summit because so many people are not talking about the important pieces. So they might be focusing on marketing or they might be focusing on sales or they might be focusing on the leadership, the team development. But this takes a more holistic view and looks at the law firm as a business and gives you all the pieces that you need. So there's going to be amazing information provided for our attendees and you can attend during the day or at night. Each session is going to be available for 24 hours for the attendees. So over the course of those five days, somebody can pick and choose the sessions that they want to attend and get the information that they need in a easy to consume and concise format without ever needing to book a flight, leave town, leave the family behind, and it's absolutely free. So you don't have to get on a plane. You don't have to book a hotel. You don't have to get out of town, but you do have to attend within about a 24-hour window of the talks, it sounds like. Yes. There is an all-access pass available for purchase. So after you register, you'll be offered that. If the timing doesn't work for you, it's very inexpensive. It'll be 97 bucks on the initial page when you're offered it. Oh, good to know. You know, it's an easy choice to make if the timing doesn't work for you. You could still have access to the information and it's literally, you know, a lunch and a dinner to do that. Very cool. Well, listeners, if you'd like to attend the Law Firm Growth Summit, you can find out more at lawfirmgrowthsummit.com slash lawyerist. Once again, that's lawfirmgrowthsummit.com slash lawyerist, and you'll find the link in the show notes. Moshe, thanks so much. Oh, thank you for having me. My name is Dr. Doug Brockman, and I am a licensed psychologist here in the state of California. And what I do, I teach the highly driven to meditate at gunpoint, which is <laughs> uh, kind of an anti-psychologist, anti-meditation kind of disruptor is kind of what I'm going for. And it, um, it is actually a remarkable tool to teach my very particular type of clientele really the benefits of meditation that they may have been missing most of their lives. So thank you for being with us, Doug. And my business partner, Aaron, says, hey, you should interview Doug. He teaches people how to meditate with sniper training. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm totally in. Like, I'm in for that. <laughs> so tell me, like, what's the problem? What's the what's the issue here and that, that gave rise to this whole thing? So I, I work with a very particular type of client. I've been working in the field, started in the field of addiction about 30 years ago. And in the last 30 years, it's been a, just an amazing time to go through my education and become a psychologist, primarily because of the, the cracking of the human genome. Mm -hmm. And the functional MRI, I mean, things that we were theoretically <laughs> trying to figure out 30 years ago, we can actually pinpoint now. And it, it is just an amazing time to, to explore the human animal. So the guys I work with are, are driven, and that is the title of my book. And, you know, the, the addiction kind of model has really fallen by the wayside in understanding what is happening actually in the body and the brain. And about 10% of the population have uh, basically 
simply not adapted to the agricultural world that's been in full bloom now for about the last 3,000 years. So about 10% of the people have maintained this this both neural structure and genetics of, of, of being a hunter. Yeah. And we really are different. And, you know, they call it ADD, they call it OCD, they call it addictive personality, type A personality. They've labeled it, and I keep saying they, the farmers have labeled it all kinds of different things, trying to make us feel like we don't fit in. And often we don't. But, you know, as you and I talked a little bit about before going on air, um, not everybody, you know, at first glance says, you know, hey, that's me. So, you know, some of us slip underneath the radar and can actually feel and look pretty successful, but actually underneath it, we are definitely driven. So we are different. And I like the way that you characterize this as sort of, look, society is basically made up of, um, I mean, there are more than two, but but two big buckets of roles. Um, one are the people who went out and killed the woolly mammoths and brought home the fur and the, the meat. And the other ones stayed home and tended, you know, wove baskets and cured <laughs> the meat. And, and it's it's not that one is better than the other. Society requires both. But over time, society has required more basket weavers and fewer hunters but obviously there are still hunters left. And not the macho side of me is totally, um, this appeals to me, of course. But. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and it, it's, you know, four, five, 6,000 years ago, you know, we were all basically in a much more dangerous world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the need to survive and this, this chronic feeling that there's something needed in our worlds is really the underlying genetics of, of what my expertise is. And to develop a personality and a genetic genome that can tolerate a, a basically assembly line is, you know, really in the last at least 100 years, you know, has been just cherished in our society. While those of us that make us, you know, want to put a pencil in our eyes if we're sitting in a cubicle somewhere for more than eight hours at a time. Yeah. You know, we just we just don't tolerate it. And, you know, the genetics of boredom, you know, that's the, I mentioned that in the book, is the, this dopamine receptor number two, DRD2, has an allele where 8, 10, 15% of the population just doesn't tolerate, you know, sitting still for too long. That's impulsivity. It's the classic ADHD, the big H. And you try to get them to sit in a seat for 10 hours in a row, man, they, they lose their mind. Um, the D4 is a much more interesting, and I, I and you and probably most of my clients fall into that category. And it, it goes back to the wandering gene. And about 10,000, well, 15,000 years ago, you know, most of us were just beginning to spread across the globe. And this genetic kicks in and this DRD4, the dopamine receptor number four, it makes us feel like the uh, grass is always greener on the other side of the hill. And, you know, the, the, it's chronic kind of searching and craving and clinging just for better. And, you know, when we finally get to that point on the horizon where we think the shiny object is, it kind of loses its shine and we jump to the next thing and jump to the next thing and jump to the next thing. So it's, um, we seem to be much more productive in society, but we still have that same driven brain and driven personality. So it, it, Am I right that dopamine basically is motivation? It feels like that is pretty much what drives motivation for human beings. So dopamine in all neurochemicals, the body's a trippy thing. We have, you know, 80% of your serotonin is in your stomach. And so Mm -hmm. it it controls digestion and dopamine, you know, not enough dopamine and, you know, is the cause of Parkinson's disease. So, 
you know, all of these neurochemicals do a whole bunch of different things, but the, the lack of dopamine and believing that, you know, this thing in the future will give me dopamine is what most often people experience as motivation. That if I finally get it, then I will feel okay and I'll feel that reward. Hmm. And, you know, the hunters, we just don't feel as rewarded as everyone else. You know, it's harder for us to get our dopamine. I guess maybe it's worth stopping for a minute and um, helping people who are listening. And logically, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10% of the listeners are the people we're talking about. How do they identify themselves? So you may have been diagnosed with ADD, ADHD. You know, that really hasn't come into fad and for, you know, for the last 15, 20 years. And so underlying is really an inner world issue of feeling like there's always something not quite right, feeling like there's always something that could be better. You know, you finish a case and I have a bunch of attorneys in my practice. You finish a case and immediately your mind drifts to, you know, your screw ups and you start to catalog in this, you know, to explain why you're still feeling like it wasn't good enough. Hmm. And even if you did a great job, yeah, but it's this underlying kind of ache inside that just feels like we aren't, you know, we could do better. And it's, it's subtle in some people and screaming in others. And it varies. And you explained that, um, you alluded to this already, but this sort of inability to achieve that dopamine hit, or, or it's much harder, leads people towards addiction, which is kind of the way that you, that, that was your door into this, this study and into this topic. Addiction is obviously a huge problem among lawyers, which leads me to think that maybe a lot of lawyers are on that spectrum or scale of D2 and D4 ADHD or OCD. And maybe that's what's driving some of that addiction. That risk-taking behavior is sort of inherent to a lot of what lawyers do in the courtroom or in the negotiation room and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, risk-taking behavior is, you know, if you you think about a classic farmer, you know, they're wired to not risk the entire crop. You know, what we did last year and what we did the year before and what we did the year before, if it's not broke, do not fix it. Don't mess with it. Where the hunting wiring is everything can be in improved. And so we're willing to risk and willing to take those, you know, those chances because we might get that hit of dopamine. And, you know, it, it, sometimes it plays off and sometimes it doesn't. But in my experience working with all the attorneys I have, it's, uh, you know, both the addiction thing and it's a lack of balance. I mean, yeah. we get, you know, the, the hunters, man, if we think it's a, you know, woolly mammoth on the horizon, we get so driven and hyper-focused towards that one thing you know, we, you know, the other categories in our life, the friends and families and everything else just fall by the wayside. And some of the trial guys I have just get into, you know, that, that hyper-focused flow and they're dying on their desk. You know, they're working 60, 70 hours a week. It's that, it's that craving for, for, uh, to get that hit. So your, your book is about a set of tools that includes this meditation, um, which can be a part of sniper training and, but kind of take us through what are, what is the goal of these tools? tools and what are we trying to do in order to sort of get a handle on this drive and channel it in a more productive direction? One of the basic premises of the book is that, you know, being driven, having this reward deficiency, um, we essentially have to develop something called insight, you know, the, the ability to look into our inner world and really question what is our central nervous system telling us about what's going on around us? And if we're feeling like there's always something missing or wrong, you'll find it. <laughs> yeah. So um, it creates this perpetual engine, so to speak, or drive. Oh, 
always just, you know, constantly driven towards, you know, whatever our shiny thing is. The last 15 years, you know, about 15 years ago, a little personal <laughs> disclosure on my own. So I'm finishing my dissertation and losing my mind with that, going through a divorce and, and broke my leg and basically had my entire world implode, which my central nervous system was telling me, you know, there is no hope. Mm -hmm. And that internal experience forced me to develop a meditation practice. And great time to be in psychology because, you know, mindfulness, as you as you mentioned, comes and goes. You know, in the last 30 years, I've watched it kind of go through three big flourishing, you know, kind of gets real popular. And then people figure out, whoa, wait a minute, this sucks. This is hard. Um, then it kind of falls to the wayside, but then people start to suffer again. Their inner world start to, you know, come up and attack them and they try it again because at, the, at first glance it does work. But the misconceptions around what meditation is, is just, it is one of the premises of the book and meditations designed for farmers do not work for us. We lose our freaking mind. Um, Primarily because the the brain of the hunter is, is really reversed, mm -hmm. for lack of a better way of explaining it, meaning that we have a, you know, the back of our brains is the occipital lobe or, you know, where our eyesight is. And hunters are primarily eyesight focused. And, you know, we use our eyes as the primary means of going through the world, which allows our frontal lobe to do something that that is really quite remarkable is we can attend to. Um, a greater number of variables at the same time, where the farmer is two to three to four variables, we seven, nine, 10, 12 variables at the same time. And so that's the classic definition of ADD or ADHD is that we multi-think or our frontal lobes are hypo or underactive. And combine those two things, you close your eyes as a hunter trying to relax, your frontal lobe just goes nuts and all of a sudden your head's filled with thoughts. Mm. And so, you know, these meditations that are traditionally, you know, a lot of the apps that are out, you know, close your eyes and listen to my nice voice. And you try to do that as with a hunting brain. And it just makes us feel discontent and restless. And, you know, this does not work for me. I always just fall asleep. Um, but <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so, so, you know, I've been looking for tools to teach meditation. What is true meditation is presenting. And, you know, presenting is the simple technique of actually, you know, getting your central nervous system or your reptilian brain attached to the time machine, which is up in our neocortex, up in our head. And when they're working together and, you know, what's my resonating field is accurate about what's happening around me, we call that flow. And it's very appealing to, you know, any hunter that's in it, you know, whether it's video games or, you know, closing statements to a jury, you get into that flow state where you really feel and experience and, you know, you're just present. Your head is working with your heart and your body and everything's in this, this oneness state of being. That's meditation. I always, I feel it when like I'm working on the website and, you know, digging into the code um, and I'll find sometimes that if I start at 10 o'clock, um, it may feel like I wake up at two o'clock and I don't even, I haven't even eaten. I haven't had anything to drink. I haven't gone to the bathroom and it feels like surfacing from the bottom of the pool, um, because I've just been fully a hundred percent engaged in what I'm doing for like four or five hours straight. 
Um, and I think that's what, that's what I associate with flow. And that is yeah. meditation. And those t- styles of meditation or, or anything that holds us in the present moment, which, you know, the Sanskrit word for, you know, yoking or holding back, you know, a yoke is something you put around a bull's neck is mm-hmm. yoga. And these yoga type practices, whether it's downhill skiing or, you know, mountain bike riding or, or surfing or any of these activities that actually hold our presence, you know, to what's happening around us, particularly suited for, for hunters, is the practice of meditation. And, you know, the, the shooting thing is, is just an amazing tool because there is no recoil in the present. Yeah. If you're anticipating the recoil of the rifle, you're not present. You're, you're worried about something happening in the future. So it's a phenomenal yoga instrument that really does show us how, as a hunter, man, when we hyper-focus on exactly what's happening now, you know, whether it's code in your computer or whatever else, it is just a blissful, awesome state. Being able to elicit that when you're sitting on a cushion is, is incredibly difficult. So Let's take just a few minutes to hear from our sponsors, and then I want you to talk about how to elicit that Great. and make the connection between cushions and coding or downhill skiing and sniper training and all that kind of stuff, because I that's really interesting, and I, I want to hear you talk about it, because I'm not sure that I got the full thing from the book. So I want to take a quick break, and then when we come back, I want to hear more about that. With Ross Intelligence, lawyers conducting legal research leverage AI to get to the heart of legal issues fast. Ask a query in natural language on the Ross legal research platform, and Ross will return on-point case law. Attorney Jonathan Udoka says he's able to use Ross as though it were a first-year associate doing top-flight legal research. At $89 a month, Ross is not only fast and intuitive, it's also affordable. See what Ross can do. Go to rossintelligence.com lawyerist today and get a 14-day free trial. Use the promo code lawyerist for 10% off your first-year subscription. Longtime podcast listeners and lawyerist readers know that Sam and I get pretty excited about email productivity tips, but we know that most people don't have the time or energy to be email productivity nerds like us. So it's great that SameBox will take care of fixing your inbox for you. I've used SameBox for a while now, and it automatically organizes your incoming email into smart folders so you don't have to be overwhelmed by a busy inbox and don't have to see important client emails next to junky coupon offers, distracting you from the work you need to do. Best yet, SameBox learns with you, so if you find it puts something in the wrong folder, just move it, and SameBox will automatically learn your preference. It also has nifty features like Sane Black Hole, where you can drag messages from annoying senders you never want to hear from again. It's so simple, you won't need to learn anything to use it. It just takes care of everything itself. SaneBox works directly with every single email server or service that has ever been created, so it will definitely work for you. Get a free two-week trial and a $25 credit by visiting samebox.com slash lawyerist today. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash lawyerist. A legal-only call center, Alert Communications has been helping law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake for over 50 years. Alert responds to and captures all leads for your law firm efficiently using their highly trained intake specialists and software solutions. They work 24-7, 365 as an extension of your law firm in both English and Spanish. Alert strives to set best practice standards within the mass tort legal community by using ethical ideals, in turn elevating the quality of client services and earning the trust of attorneys. To find out how Alert can increase your mass tort or class action lead conversion rates, call 844-MY-INTAKE or find them at alertcommunications.com. 
Okay, so Doug, I want to hear you talk more about, you know, the cushion style meditation, but also about other activities or or things do it. And I'm particularly interested in like how you integrate the, the I'm calling it cushion meditation uh, with sniper uh, with long range shooting Great. because I um, I'm super curious to hear about how that all works together not that I'm going to run out and start shooting at things uh, on my own <laughs> but I'd like to hear more about it yeah it's uh, it, it's you know Buddhism and guns usually doesn't go together <laughs> so it's a interesting but archery yes I get a lot of high rolls yeah archery exactly and so that's basically what we did is, is you know there's a 800, 600 year old tradition in, in Japan where they're using bow, bow and arrow, and it's called kudo, where it, it is an activity, you know, that is designed that, you know, a stepwise activity. The process that you're following is actually the yoga container that you're just hyper focusing on what you're doing right now. And you have memorized these steps, and that allows you to actually elicit or create this flow state. And, you know, when meditation is applied to running or, you know, coding or any of those things where you notice your thinking drifting off to something else and then you gently come back to, you know, the line of code and you have to pay very close attention <laughs> to all of these things, um, it, it actually integrates to, and I, I promise my wife that I'll never say brain parts on podcast, <laughs> but it, it starts to connect the parts of the brain that are normally, you know, we're, we're not connected. It's not a good thing or a bad thing that we're not connected. We obviously need to not connect sometimes, but being able to elicit this connection is, you know, is gold for hunters and gold for really anybody because it builds this um, capacity to actually just be present to really what's happening around us. So as I as I'm reading about uh, sort of the cushion meditation component of this, I'm struck by a couple of things that are different from what I've learned about mindfulness. And one is that mindfulness seems, most people who do it um, seem to go for a fairly comfortable seating position and eyes closed. And you focus on an imaginary candle or, a, you know, or you have a, a word or something like that that you focus on. Whereas your, your driven meditation is... The posture is a little bit more on the verge of action, it almost feels like. Yeah, good. Uh, which, which I, A, is more comfortable for me, but B, feels interesting. And you also have eyes open. Yep. And, um, and I assume that has to do with um, the, what you were describing about the, the visual orientation. Correct. And so most, and I go into some detail in the book, yeah. um, and the, the transcendental meditation practices, is a, it's a Hindu practice, and it comes out of a very old tradition. Um, that predates Buddhism, that predates the Buddha and his styles of meditation. Transcendental meditation, you're trying to transcend reality. You're actually trying to get your central nervous system to resonate on a higher plane and all this, you know, woo-woo stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're, you're actually trying to disassociate or disconnect from what's happening around you. And it's bliss. I mean, you, you feel wonderful. But what's the point of that? You know, you know, you can take a Xanax and have a glass of wine. And it, it gives you that same euphoric kind of, you know, here I am drifting off into space. Right, you're trying to introduce flow. Correct. And so the Japanese and as, you know, these meditation traditions moved out of northern India and, you know, basically went east and kept going east. And they finally got to Japan and the 
Japanese, the efficiency that they are, really figured out how to get to the, the, the heart of the matter, as they say, and you, you efficiency of trying to elicit this very, very, very intense presence mm-hmm. where your central nervous system is actually accurately reflecting what's happening around you. So you're associating and, you know, that, that, that is where the real benefits of meditation or the style of meditation that, you know, I, true meditation, if you want to call it that is, is most beneficial. And that that's proven over and over in the functional MRI. And it, it's, you know, trying to transcend or feel good or feel blissful is not the point. Trying to get an accurate reflection about what's happening around you, you know, and mindfulness is often misunderstood as, as you know, here I am in my mind doing these techniques to get my body to feel very comfortable and very wonderful. Mm-hmm. That is not it. And it's actually bodyfulness. And so you're really becoming curious about what is my central nervous system telling me, you know, and is it accurate about what's happening around me, which is, you know, Dan Goldman stuff and all the, all the emotional intelligence. And to bring it back, like you, you talk about this as, um, you know, use the example of say a stick versus a snake. Um, people who are driven are primed to view the world as a dangerous place and so they blow the stick out of proportion and see it as a snake or potentially even worse they see a snake as a stick and self-sabotage and you got it what we're really trying to do is get you to actually understand what's actually going on in your life Uh, you know the the small way that i have experienced this is in the evenings my wife goes to bed early um, and so i have a few hours usually in the evening where i'm just sort of on my own and i often experience this feeling of i got shit to do but i don't have anything to do (laughs) and so i'm sitting there and i'm on edge and i can't i can't just relax i've never been able to just like watch tv i need to be doing something but like um you know so i'm like sitting there feeling anxious about feeling like I need to be doing something, but there's actually nothing I have to do. And over time, I finally, you know, come to terms with the fact that I actually have nothing to do. And that's a, I think that's a small example of what you're talking about, where I just have to be fully aware and honest and comfortable with what's actually happening because what I'm sitting there doing is essentially manufacturing problems for myself. You got it. And you just, you just defined DRD <laughs> 4 7 All right, well, there you go. <laughs> So it's, I feel guilty when I relax is the classic definition I often say. And so it's the inability to actually turn off our engine. It's a a huge gift. I mean, that's why we are so successful. And, you know, we, if we are not lost in our addictions, we wind up owning most of the stuff in the world because it feels like more is better. I'm working on that, but (laughs) (laughs) But it's, you know, is it a snake or is it a stick? And, you know, this ability to go to neutral. And, you know, that it, it, it is a snake if, and it is a stick if. And that's where the benefits of this style of meditation go into this decision-making and not sabotaging or sabotaging. And, and more importantly, you start to see others more clearly. Mm-hmm. And you're able to see into, you know, into others and what is motivating them. And you can see their fear and you start to see this you see reality more clearly, and that that's really the point of in the main benefits of this style of meditation. There was a description in the book of uh, sort of the point man in a Navy SEAL team right. who is like, hold up, something's going on, and, and can't really point at what it is. 
Um, but, you know, usually once the team stops and fans out to try and look for it, there's an IED sitting in front of them or there's uh, somebody crouching in the grass or and it's because they're aware of so much more than they're aware that they know that they are aware of, I guess. You got and, it. Um, and it's that perception. And once you quiet down the noise and, and let yourself experience that perception, you can be extremely emotionally intelligent. You just have to slow down and look at it, right? Correct. And yeah, and I go into it lightly in the book and my dad's 80, oh God, he's almost 81 years old and he's never read a self-help book in his life. And <laughs> I think out of, you know, just at a sheer obligation, he's read my book twice. And it is fact, and it is a neurological, biological fact that we're not living in reality, that we're living in a projection. And when our central nervous system is feeling anxious or feeling, you know, excited, we will actually project that and see in a biased way, you know, what we want to see. And that was my doctoral research was self-fulfilling prophecy or self-sabotage. And it's this ability to actually know that, that no, wait a minute, what am I missing here? And it's an amazing time to be a psychologist because of this this thing called the vagal nerve, and I'm, I promise I won't get too deep into it, but it, it's our gut instincts and, you know, our, our listening to your gut, hearing your gut. I got a gut feeling, all of these, you know, ways of trying to tap into this thing. The style of meditation I teach, and that that's really the main benefit that I see most of my clients experience within six months or a year of really making this a cornerstone of their life, is they're starting to register something that they, they were missing before. Hmm. And so you, you're dropping your biased perceptions and you're starting to become curious. You know, it's a classic mindful, curious about what am I seeing and actually what am I not seeing? Mm-hmm. And that will start to open up our senses and actually <laughs> builds capacity in our gut instincts or this dorsal vagal system and ventral vagal system to get a more accurate feeling about what's happening around us. You know, and human beings were just a herding or a tribal animal like everyone else. And we lived in little family groups and herds. And, you know, the gazelle at the front of the herd, when it gets scared, the whole herd feels this fear. Right. But whose fear, whose fear are they actually feeling? Mm-hmm. Is it mine? Is it yours? Is it, the, is it my, you know, associates? Is it, you know, the judges? Is it, and the ability to sort that out is a unbelievably powerful emotional intelligent tool Hmm. as you start to get into this and you start to experience that in a way that is as i always say and it's you can write about bubble gum you can talk about bubble gum you can but until you taste bubble gum you don't know what bubble gum is Mm -hmm. but once you start to taste it and you really experience the benefits of this style of meditation it's like whoa game changer so do you mind talking about how um you integrate the cushion meditation with the activity, the sniper training, yep. um, or the, the long distance shooting and, and how, how does it work if you wanted to integrate it into another st- type of activity? I don't have access to a sniper rifle and a shooting range and an instructor <laughs> to make it safe, um, or even a bow and arrow, but I like to go running. Um, I like to do other activities and I'm wondering if I could do something similar until I have time to attend your workshop. So I say this almost every day, but one of the hardest things I do every day is, is sit in a meditative position on a cushion, looking at a candle. <laughs> 
Um, and that's a good day. If that's the hardest thing I got to do today, but what makes it actually hard is that the, you know, the split between my body and my brain or my neocortex, my new brain, you know, the new brain is a time machine and it's constantly drifting off to the future and the past and worrying about, you know, what's not happening right now. And as the Buddha talked about, you take refuge in your body, meaning that you, you become aware and of what's happening in your central nervous system you know, the reptilian brain and what's happening in the reptilian brain is always happening right now. You know, I teach a very specific style of, of meditation that actually triggers the vagal nerve to send up these calming, you know, calming impulses into the brainstem. And it allows us to actually calm our central nervous system down to this point of neutral. Then when you, you know, you stand up basically from the cushion and approach the rifle, you start to feel all kinds of anticipatory adrenaline and excitement and all of these things. And you're building this thing called interioception or your ability to actually experience what is my central nervous system doing. And if you can do that without judgment, you can then gently come back to, you know, what is really happening now. And so you're basically learning to call bullshit on yourself over and over and over and over again. And that learning to call bullshit on yourself or killing oneself, as I talk about in the book, you know, is the core of, of this style of meditation to where I'm no longer in my way of whatever activity I'm doing. And, you know, sitting on the cushion is by far the hardest thing where, you know, returning email meditations or talking. I did a making breakfast for my kid meditation for years where my head would drift off to where I'm supposed to be in 10 minutes or two days or whatever it is. And I gently come back to the French toast <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and appreciate the whole experience of, you know, in this, this core of what I talk about in the book of mastery is that we are constantly running over everything throughout our day is this is not important. That is not important as this thing, I, other thing I got to do to do. And so we're constantly, you know, not living life. Today is not preparation for some other day. Today is the day. <laughs> and so when you apply this principle and this philosophy that, you know, just return this one email, your efficiency goes through the roof. Just apply, you know, just explore this one bit of code or just explore, you know, flipping the French toast. And it, it's difficult, but it's actually way easier than staring at a candle. But staring at a candle, you know, while I'm sitting in this very specific posture that I talk about in the book, it actually directly connects the mind and the body is why posture is, you know, presented in that way. Um, it is very difficult to be just in your body and present mm -hmm. unless you're actually in my body present making French toast because then I can notice the smells and notice the flip and notice all of these other things that are actually happening right now. And so that becomes the container or the yoga that holds me there. And I gently drift away and gently come back. And, you know, listening to your clients, which, you know, as I say to all my attorneys, you know, if everyone was living in reality, we'd all be out of a job because, you know, our job as, you know, as counselors or whatever is to help sort people's reality out. But if I'm in, in the way of that, if my reality is overpowering my ability to see their reality, then we got two problems. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, the, the guys I work with, particularly the, you know, the attorneys where they can drop their own stuff that's in the room and they can really hear or listen to their client, both what they're saying in their words and actually what they're experiencing in their body. You get a much clearer picture of 
you know, what you need to do to actually help somebody. So it's uh, applying meditation to running or, you know, French toast or, you know, code or listening to one of your clients um, is actually way easier than sitting on the cushion. And so in a way, sitting on the cushion is the is the preparation, though, for that challenging task. You got as it. Well, OK, you got it. So it, it's, you know, what happens on the cushion is, you know, I say it in the book is what happens on the cushion is almost irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You know, how it's applied to the rest of your life is where the gold is. And, you know, doing something that is so unbelievably challenging sitting on a cushion, um, when I go to the French toast, it seems easier. When I go to, you know, listening to a really interesting case for a client, it's really interesting. Yeah. So it's a much easier thing to engage in. And then when my thoughts come and drift off and I think about, you know, what I had for breakfast, I'm much able, you know, much more able to bring my mind back to what's happening now. In in your book, after you you talk about meditation and and then you start talking about some other tools, and I was I was surprised but also pleased to see David Allen's getting things done come up very quickly, and mm-hmm. and I I as soon as I read that, it made sense to me uh, because you'd been talking about the importance of. Um, the process, not the goal. And like, you know, every, over the last few Olympics, they've talked about um, what it takes to succeed. And the Olympians keep saying, you have to enjoy practice. Yep. Um, you keep the goal in mind, but you have to enjoy the practice and you have to live for the practice. And I think uh, in, in the similar way, getting things done is um, it's all about, you don't have to accomplish the goal today. You don't have to start the business. You don't have to launch the product. You don't have to sell a thousand units. You just have to do the next thing, right? You just have to go and get the papers from the secretary of state's office. You don't have to found it today. You just have to go get the papers. And like, it's that sort of, um, backing off from the goal and just, just keep moving, just keep doing the next thing. Um, it intuitively makes sense. And I was pleased because I feel like getting things done was a, a moment that I can point to that, um, changed my life in a really positive way because it allowed me to, um, channel my energy and my focus, on t- in a in a much more manageable way, right? And that that yeah, I know I love David Allen. He did change my life too. And the resistance, you know, my doctoral research was done fifty, oh, God, almost twenty years ago now. And I, I wrote about you know the resistance to doing things. Mm-hmm. And I talk about in the book, and I start everybody I work with, whether they're, you know, daily meditators or not, to feel the resistance in their bodies of actually keeping a meditation practice. And I, you know, work with some really bright, incredibly motivated people. This one-minute meditation that I suggest everyone start with, it's incredibly difficult to actually continue it. January is just a horrible experience at the gym. Why? Because everybody's <laughs> monkey mind has convinced <laughs> yeah, exactly because everybody in the world has got this great idea, you know, this great belief system going in their head, convincing them that, you know, this year is going to be different. But what happens is the central nervous system, you know, human beings don't want, you know, better, safer, faster, stronger, richer. What we want is actually the familiar. Mm-hmm. And that's a subconscious or, you know, central nervous system biological fact that as our world starts to change, we have a physical resistance to continuing that behavior. Continuance of behavior then, you know, is either rationalized, it's okay, I'll go to the gym tomorrow, or I'll do it later, or I'll do it after dinner. And once the mind is actually, you know, the neocortex and the new brain is making some narrative about why this resistance should be there, Mm. we're, we're toast. And that is sabotage. 
But that meeting that resistance, and this is one of the key takeaways of that book, my book, is meeting that resistance with curiosity, in particular, not you know, catching the narrative you're going to make in your head about why it's okay not to return this email right now or whatever, but then experiencing what's happening in the present. Because, as, you know, there is no resistance in the present. There's none. Hmm. There never there can't be biologically. And so as you start to feel your feet gently walking towards the, the cushion or you feel your hands going to just this one email and you just do this one thing, there is no resistance. And all of a sudden you just, as David Allen, you get it done. Yeah. But knowing what you, you know, and he does a masterful job at organizing your life in a way that you know what you need to do next and what are the big tasks and the little tasks and, you know, what buckets you should put stuff in. And, and then if you have no resistance and you have David Allen, it is, I mean, it's remarkable how much crap you can get done. <laughs> it's Yeah. Um, and you never notice you're doing it. You just look backwards and you're like, oh, I did all this stuff. Right. You know, the whole day then becomes a meditation practice of getting things done. Mm-hmm. So very you know, Japanese, you know, you just chop wood, you just carry water, you just return the email, you just make French toast, or you just do this one, you know, whatever it is in front of you. And then if you organize your life in a way with David Allen's or, you know, I give some other suggestions in the book too, God, your your world just becomes so different. And more importantly, you can tolerate the success because you can feel that resistance and you're talking about bandwidth. You start to have the bandwidth, you know, that you can tolerate more in your body without believing there's a snake in front of you or, you know, sabotaging. And so it's a, it, it works. Well, if people are interested in finding out if this is a book they ought to read, um, you have a, a test, a survey on highlydriven.life. Yep. And um, the book was handed to me as something I ought to read. Um, and then I took the the test about halfway through to, to confirm for me that my suspicions were correct and that I should be considering some of these tools. But if you're curious, as you're sitting here listening, go to highlydriven.life. We'll include the link in the show notes uh, and you can take the assessment and find out if you might benefit from the book. And if you, if you do show up as somebody who's highly driven, I would recommend you take it. I think even if you ultimately decide that some of these things aren't for you, uh, I think the book will really help you get to know yourself better because that was my experience in reading it. So there's my plug for you anyway. <laughs> I appreciate that, Sam. That's yeah. great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and for taking us through this. And yeah, I mean, anybody who hasn't really connected with traditional meditation, if they've tried it, I think this is a, a great thing to try. But the other tools in there, I think, will just lead to a better life if you can get your get your head around them and, and start doing some of them. So I appreciate that. And I agree. All right. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Sam. Are you interested in implementing the ideas you've heard on today's podcast into your law firm? Could you use a little help? Hey guys, it's Stephanie, the VP of community success here at Lawyers, and I'd love to help you tackle your business or take it to the next level. Head over to go.lawyerist.com backslash start to sign up for a quick call with me and let's talk about how Lawyerist can help you create your best law firm. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. 
You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist podcast is edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. 